Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Talking Tactics. Uh, this is our World Cup preview for Group D. My name's Daniel. The main is, like, I, I, I won nine that's the thing. I I I like nine nine points, but I keep reminding people about this. Do you have a name? It is. Fam? It is. It is. They, they, look, look, like, look. Relax. I told you this. This is free form. We don't have to be mechanical about this. I would like nine points, but I know well, I'm not going to get nine points. But the boys should still aim for nine points. If we don't beat Croatia, we might as well come back home. That's that's how how, how things flow. The voice you've heard for the past 30 seconds, I'm guessing, is that of Have Hope. He is deeply Nigerian, uh, and we will get to that after we talk about Croatia and Iceland. But uh, this is the Talking Tactics podcast, as I said. Remember, follow us on Twitter at Talking Tactics. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, um, SoundCloud as well. If you're listening on iTunes, subscribe. Drop us a five-star review, and we'll read it on the show. We've done Group A, B, and C already on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, so... Uh, Go back and listen to those if you haven't. E will be coming out tomorrow. Um, But let's get into Group D, man. I want to give you enough time to talk about, you know, the Super Eagles. But let's start with Croatia. It's a good squad. It's a good very, squad. very good squad. If if you look at especially the midfield, Rakitic, yeah, uh, Modric, Kovacic, and and they, and they did well at the Euros. They should have beaten Portugal. I mean, but but so. but 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 we have to think. This is probably their last go with this. I don't know if it's a golden generation, maybe like a silver generation or whatever it is for Croatia at this moment in time. But Mandzukic... No, 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 no. It is, I mean, I would argue it is their golden generation. This team is more talented than the 98 team. Okay. Like the 98 team, that was truly a shock. They had no business beating Germany. <laughs> so, and Davosuke just had an amazing tournament. But as a whole, the amount of talent that this Croatian team has, especially in midfield, and look at the players who are, like, Mandzukic is one of Juve's best players. Modric is one of Real Madrid's best players. Perisic is one of Inter Milan's best players. So, Mm. you know. Modric, it's thought that he could retire from international football after this tournament, maybe keeping an eye on his Real Madrid place or whatever the case may be. Maybe he's just sick of the the, the wear and the tear of uh, international football. But, I mean, we got to enjoy the likes of Modric, the likes of Rakitic, the likes of Mandzukic in the perhaps last World Cup. I mean, that goes for a lot of players in this one. But, you know, they have Dejan Lovren in defense. How does that work? But, you know, it's generally a, a good squad. Not even a good squad. It's, it's actually, as far as international squads go, it's actually great. You, you, you know how we have... Germany, Spain, Brazil, that's the top three. Then we have, mm-hmm. like, France, Belgium, I don't want to say England. To be honest, I'll just say France, Portugal. Then below that, I'll say Belgium. And then is Croatia with Belgium, or are they yeah, in, no, yeah, yeah, are yeah, they yeah. in a pocket I'd, below? I'd, I'd put Croatia with Belgium, 100%, yeah. Croatia and Belgium. So they're, like, they're probably top 10 somewhere in there at this World mm-hmm. Cup. I mean, they, they should have a good chance. Um, but this is our interview with Richard Wilson uh, at Timo Mouse. Just hopefully you guys enjoy the, the knowledge that he drops. We will see you when the interview is done. So I'm Richard Wilson. Uh, Twitter handle is at Timo Mouse. I've been writing on Scottish, Croatian, Slovenian, Serbian football for the past five or six years. You may have seen me in The Times and a, and a whole host of publications in the former Yugoslavia 
that are generally unpronounceable. Croatia is probably one of the more sanitised um, of the countries in the region in terms of its fan culture. There's still plenty of passion, plenty of space, plenty of pyro, but in terms of the actual goings-on in the background of the game, it's far more organised and far less shady than other countries, meaning Serbia. There is obviously at the moment the ongoing trial of Stravko Mamic, um, which has brought in perjury charges for Dejan Lovren and Luka Modric. That's going on in the background as to how Dinamo Zagreb were run for the past decade. In terms of the sort of makeup of the team, as you can imagine, like a lot of the smaller nations with less recognised leagues, a lot of the players are coming from abroad. But with Croatia, you do have still a blend of players from the domestic league who will get called up. And this is something that's unique to the region. They'll have these friendlies where they will just solely look at players from the Croatian league. And you, you will see a few players from the league who've come up through through that system uh, in the final 23, in particular, uh, the likes of Zoran Nizic and Josip Pivaric, who's now at Dinamo Kiev. Mm, could you go and talk to me about Croatia's qualification in UEFA? Like, how did it go? In group with Iceland and Turkey, so obviously it's a very difficult group, and Croatia got through the playoffs at the very last moment, really, with a uh, win over Ukraine. Uh, They sacked their manager before the final qualifier and brought in Zlatko Dalic, uh, who managed to get them past Ukraine and then into a playoff against Greece. They pretty easily beat Greece 4-1 on aggregate, and we're going into a World Cup where it's the last for the golden generation. I think a lot would say you always have those teams at each World Cup where it's the last of the generation. This one, it, it genuinely is for this side. Mm. So you feel like, you know, the Madrid's, the Rakitic's, this is their last World Cup? Modric, definitely. I think there's probably an expectation he might actually retire from international football after the World Cup, so I think he might not even be at Euro 2020. The same goes for Mandzukic as well. For Rakitic, Perisic, again, probably won't see them in Qatar. And that's a sort of balance that Dalic has to work out very finely for this particular World Cup in terms of how much faith he's going to give the young players who are going to make up the side for Euro 2020 and for Qatar in particular engulfed. Uh, I think that's a very big question for Croatia. You've got uh, Subasic, who's the recognised goalkeeper, but I would like to think that they're going to call up Carlo Letica of Hajduk, who's broken through only in the past six months into, into the first team, but having watched him for a few games, for a few full games, his distribution is amazing. So he's been linked with Real Madrid already. That's the sort of club he's going to end up at. In terms of formation, they're a fairly standard four. 2-3-1. Um, I think like most sides will be at the World Cup. Dalic has mainly come through the Middle Eastern leagues and that's where he's come back to. Obviously he's not had that long a time with the team and the friendlies he's had after against Peru and Mexico were not with a full side. What a problem has been for Croatia for the past few years has been how you fit Modric, Mandzukic, Perisic, Rakitic in the same side without messing something up somewhere. Uh, the problem's always been the holding midfield position. The recognised one has been Milan Baderia, um, but obviously they've got uh, Marcelo Brozovic and potentially Filip Bradaric of Rijeka to choose from there as well. So they're coming in with a slightly stronger slate there than before, but with the same old problems of how you're going to accommodate your four or five best attacking talents in the same team. Hmm, where do I want to go with this? <laughs> Just kind of the expectations of the country. It's a bit of a funny one because obviously they have a very good record, but there's also a genuine cynicism as to the national side at all times from Croatian fans. 
I think the expectation with the group they've got will be last 16. As to how the draws panned out, I can't imagine there's anyone realistically thinking they're going to get much further than that. You've got Argentina, Nigeria and Croatia who all have very similar strengths and very similar weaknesses in so much as they have a lot of attacking talent, not very much at the back. Iceland will obviously just play their 4-4-2, try and draw their way out of the group if they possibly can. The real crucial game in the group is going to be that first game between Croatia and Nigeria. If they don't win that, then they're not going to be in the last 16. If you had to pinpoint yourself, what do you think is going to happen? What are you saying? Second in the group, probably. I can see them easily going out at the group stage. Let's say they have to win that first game against Nigeria, simply just because of how the fixtures lie for them. They don't want to be going into the second game with Argentina needing a result because they won't get it. Um, If they can get through the group, like I say, it will probably be second place. And second place in the group is going to land them with France in the last 16. And France are going to go far in the World Cup. Uh, I can't imagine Croatia are going to stand too much in their way. I think what people always come into a major tournament with is the impression that Croatia are dark horses. This time, they're more outsiders. Mm. Um, If you could pinpoint someone that you feel like people might not know that much about, that you think, you know, this guy's really going to show himself on the big stage. I mean, I've mentioned Kyle Lethitcher before. I I mean, I think he should be called up. Um, The third goalkeeper for the team is uh, Dominic Lovakovic of Dinamo Zagreb and... I think Letitra is the best keeper of the two. Going forward through the team, uh, the other position I'd probably point out would be uh, the central midfield and Philip Braderich. He's a very combative player. I think the easiest comparison to him would be uh, Scott Brown of Celtic uh, in style. Croatia need a player like him in the middle. I'm not necessarily saying they're going to play him, but they do need that sort of tough tackling, no-nonsense midfielder who's just going to get the ball and do a simple pass. Uh, the other, Marco Piaka, obviously he's Juve, I think he's on loan at Schalke at the minute, uh, who's had a very injury-hit past couple of years, but can come in and be an impact player. I don't really think there's going to be too much in the way of shock call-ups for the team. They, they have a very talented uh, under-21 side, and if they were wanting to dive into that and call up the likes of Lovro Maia, Luka Ivanasec, or if he had been fit, Nicola Morrow, then they certainly could do that and probably not lose that much from the team. All right. Uh, who do you think is going to win the World Cup? It's pretty hard for me to look past Germany, the format of Group E, is, which is Brazil's group. I will be one of the few people in the world who will probably say Brazil aren't going to win that group. Um, I think Serbia will. If Serbia win that group, that will put me in it's Brazil, Germany in the second round. I just think the format of the fixtures in that group are going to work against Brazil and work in Serbia's favour. For me, Serbia are real dark horses. I'm not saying they'll win the thing, but I think they've got a real chance of getting to the semis just because they've finally found the right mix. And in addition to that, there's not a player in their squad who's coming into it out of form. Yeah, I was looking at the odds. The bookmakers had them as not even getting out of that group, but they are going to be serious contenders. Brazil, I'd say it's just how the fixtures fall. Uh, because for Serbia, it's Costa Rica first, then Switzerland, then Brazil. If they're facing Brazil in that last game, with Brazil already qualified, probably playing a weaker side, they can take Brazil. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so, last last question. 
have I not asked you anything that you think is particularly interesting about Croatia that you feel like people should know or might want to know? I think I've touched on it. It is a very fine balance for Dalic to walk in terms of who he actually picks. There's players there who are ready. There's players there who will be the bedrock of this side come Qatar 2022. And a lot of these current players will be going off the scene fairly soon. I don't feel this is a tournament where Croatia can go in with much in the way of expectations of getting to the quarterfinals or doing anything where they're going to come home and get a lovely ticker tape parade or anything like that. So I think that this is one tournament where they can perhaps chance it, but that's not how Croatian football works, unfortunately. Um, if he chanced it and Croatia got knocked out at the group stage, they come back and they get rubbish pelted at them. Um, <laughs> You laugh, but that that would be what would happen, and that's probably a fairly um, optimistic version of what would happen. There's exciting options for Dallas to choose from. I don't think he's going to choose them. What will probably be very instructive will be the friendly at Anfield against Brazil uh, at the start of June, and that will show how they set up against Argentina and just show where Croatia are in terms of a good side. But I do, I do think this is a team very much in transition, and I think they'll be much better in two years and in four years' time. Let's talk Iceland, man. You know, surprise package of Euro 2016, I thought. Yeah, you man. Know. They, they, got, they got England the hell out of there, man. The, the one thing about Iceland I don't like is that Viking clap thing that they do. Come on, that's cool, man. Being in a stadium and seeing that live would be pretty crazy. Like, no, I don't, I, I, I don't like that. That other countries have co-opted it, but once the Iceland guys do it, no, that's an amazing thing to to see. I don't like it, but you know they have a good squad nonetheless. No, no superstars really. I mean, you could maybe argue Gilfie Sigurdsson is a star of some kind, but look, man, based on what they did at the Euros, man, solid European team that play with two strikers, four four two. Um, solid throwback European kind of team and I think you know they know how they play they know their limitations they know their, their, their strengths so they're a very very functional team so I think you know um, they're, and I think based on how they're underdogs they can, they'll can they definitely take strength <laughs> from what they did in the Euros <laughs> and um, could um, really um, ruffle a few feathers alright so uh, we got in contact with Jim Hart who works at these football times Jim, I'm not going to even try to pronounce your Twitter handle. It's very complicated, but it is in the description. I can't. It's Catanazzinari. I don't speak Italian. I think it's Italian. But yeah, it's going to be all the links are going to be in the description. So this is our conversation with Jim. And uh, yeah, we'll see you when it finishes. This is Jim Hart. I am a partner at These Football Times. I'm also a senior writer at These Football Times. I, uh, I uh, host the Lob podcast. And I've been writing about Iceland for about the last five years and getting to know the people over there pretty well. Just getting to know them and getting to know their game. Icelandic football culture is really a product of Icelandic culture. It's not a star system. You wouldn't say that they have star players. They very much build around an ideal. And it's a very unselfish ideal. You know, if you look at the history of Iceland, you know, for a thousand years, Iceland sort of was very independent. They didn't rely on other countries that much for trade or, or anything. They were very self-sufficient mm-hmm. and, they, and they did it through, you know, being very unselfish. They always help each other out. That whole ideal lends itself into their football as well. You know, they're very unselfish players. They're very team focused. You know, they're always looking for a way to have sort of a more harmonious on pitch 
attitude. You know, their their defense is always very organized. They're always looking to make a better pass to set up a goal as opposed to, you know, being the guy that actually scores the goal. You know, so you'll see a lot of very unselfish play. You'll see a lot of sacrifice on the pitch, you know, even down to like who their captain is, right? So Aaron is their captain because, you know, he's the guy that works the hardest. He's the first guy on the pitch. He's the last guy to leave. You know, all, all the things that, that you would think about as being sort of the hardest working player, the guy who sacrifices the most, he's not necessarily their best player. He's not a superstar on the international level or anything like that. You know, a lot of people think, well, Gilfi Sigurdsson should be their captain, right? Because he's the most famous and everything. He isn't. It's Aaron. And Aaron is sort of that perfect Icelandic guy. He represents that Icelandic ideal to a T. Everybody in Iceland sort of has two or three jobs. Nobody in Iceland, you know, just has one job. And it even goes to the head coach of Iceland, uh, Hamer, uh, Hamer Halgrimsson, uh, who is a dentist, yet he's also the head coach, the manager of the Icelandic national team. And so he continues his dental practice, although, albeit, you know, he doesn't spend as nearly as much time at it as he used to. But, you know, that's sort of the Icelandic ideal. These guys all have a couple of jobs. They all work real hard. They just kind of get through their days that way. What do dentists really do anyway, except say bite? <laughs> it's always the like dental assistants that do all the work anyway. I'm sure he can get away with it. So, yeah, so, that's true. <laughs> so how did that kind of Icelandic teamwork togetherness ideal work in qualification? Oh, they did tremendously well in, in qualification. They won their group. You know, they did not back in in any way, shape, or form. So they had a they had a very difficult group. But you know, the big one was Croatia. They split the matches with Croatia, so they they won at home and then and then they lost by one goal on the road to Croatia. But they did end up winning the group. I gotta say, it was it was a tough group. They ended up only giving up just a handful of goals in all of qualification. So their defense was very tight. The only multi-goal game I think they gave up was was actually to Croatia, and I think it was a three-two match. But most of their games were. 1-0, 2-0 kind of matches where Iceland would end up with a clean sheet and they would win the match. So yeah, on October 10th, they defeated Kosovo, you know, thereby winning the group and guaranteeing that they would definitely be in the World Cup. Mm. What are the expectations for them in this World Cup, given that they have arguably the toughest group? You know, I think the expectations of the country are very realistic. I think that if they make the knockout rounds, they're going to be extremely ecstatic. Icelanders are very realistic about things. You know, they don't have these unrealistic expectations for themselves. But I do think that they feel like they do have a realistic shot at making the knockout rounds. Because if you look at it, really, their first match is, is Argentina. You know, if you take a look at Argentina... And you say, okay, well, yeah, sure, they're great, and they've got Messi, and, and they've got great individual talent, et cetera, et cetera. But when you really look at Argentina, they're kind of a hot mess right now. And if you want to play Argentina, you're going to want to play them in that first match before they kind of get their act together. And so I think, realistically, Iceland could steal a point in this match. Uh, and that's kind of my expectation, is that, is that Iceland's going to get a point out of this match. Now, I kind of also I also expect Iceland to beat uh, Nigeria uh, because I think Iceland is a better team than Nigeria is right now. And then it's really Croatia. Croatia is the wild card for me because Croatia can be better than Iceland on some days. And on other days, I think Iceland can be better than Croatia. 
this is a really tough, tough group to call. Yeah. You know, I don't think they're going to be shocked if they make it. And I don't think they're going to be super, super disappointed if they don't. If Iceland were to go out and really make a mess of things and look bad and, you know, not play well and just get slapped around hard by Argentina, then I think they would not be happy. As long as, you know, Iceland shows up for the matches, they play well, they're in the matches, you know, even if they lose all three, I think if they're very, very competitive and they, you know, they're in it, then I think the Icelandic people are going to be, are going to be very satisfied with the performance. Is there any players who you would pinpoint that this player's been playing well at this season or he plays well internationally and this kind of group of death is going to be a good stage for him to get his move to a bigger club? Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple of guys uh, that I would that I would say be on the lookout for. I think one guy is uh, is Birker Bjarnson, uh, who's at Aston Villa. He's not a young guy. He's you know probably in the prime of his career right now, but he's kind of been busting out recently and at the national level. Now you gotta understand, this is a hard team to bust into because they've they've been pretty well set for for the last several years in terms of their lineup. So you know it's kind of a hard team to break into. But Birker has been playing very well. He played really well in March. You know, and Aston Villa's you know been playing well as a team. Uh, you know, he's kind of been one of the reasons I think that Aston Villa kind of been uh, resurgent. Uh, another guy would be Johan Berg, uh, who's at Burnley. Um, what we're going to see is kind of the kind of the same guys like Aaron uh, and Gilfie, of course. You know, Gilfie looks like he's going to be he's going to be well enough to uh, to start and play. You know, I think we're going to see a very similar squad to what we saw in the Euros. Hmm. Who do you think is going to win the World Cup? I have been saying Spain recently and I, I think a lot of it has to do with their form you know I, I've been wanting to say Germany and I've been wanting to say Brazil just because everybody thinks one of those two teams going to win it but uh, I, I really kind of think Spain might pop up and win this thing all right last question is there anything I haven't asked you about Icelandic football or the Iceland national team that you feel is particularly interesting that you think people might want to know or should know well, I think there's a lot of things about Icelandic football that people ought to know. I think, you know, even though it's just the smallest country to ever make the World Cup in terms of population at 325,000 residents, Iceland has a strong, you know, four division promotion relegation football program that's been in place for uh, about 80 years. Wow. And football is, is a very, you know, strong sport in Iceland. Mostly they play a lot in the summer, but they are moving to uh, indoor, these big indoor football halls they have. And so they're starting to be able to play kind of year round. I would say the biggest thing to know about Icelandic football is about 20 years ago, they really made a commitment to youth football. What they did was they got a whole bunch of their coaches educated in Europe and they got A license and B license you know, UEFA uh, certifications for a whole bunch of people. And they brought these professional coaches back to Iceland and they developed a program so that any kid in Iceland who wants to play football can play football pretty much for nothing as long as they want to play. It doesn't matter how good they are, how bad they are, whatever. The opportunity is there for them to play whenever they want to play and to be coached by a very good, you know, licensed coach. It has, I think, been the biggest uh, factor in helping to develop them as a team of, of real substance because 
you know, they got a whole bunch of their kids really interested in playing the sport. Uh, they got them involved. You know, they got them good teachers. You know, that they're not just giving good coaches to the kids who play really well. They're giving good coaches to everybody. To me, that's really the way it should be, right? So any kid who's interested in playing has an opportunity to play. You know, I realize that probably doesn't, you know, scale so well in a place like the United States or, you know, or other larger countries. But some form of that, some ideal, you know, some of this ideal, I think, could be transferred into a place like the United States and give kids more opportunities to play for free from a coach who who knows what they're doing and not just some parent who's been wrangled into it, you know, because they've got a kid on the team or whatever. If Iceland can make the World Cup and be ranked, you know, I think they're ranked something like 18th in the world right now. You know, why can't other countries like the U.S. do that? You know, I think it gives it gives us a lot of hope in terms of, of making us a better nation, uh, especially for, for our youth players. If there's one thing that I think I want people to know about Iceland, it's it's that they've made a real commitment to their youth. That's really the biggest difference, I think, for them. I'm saving Argentina for last because Messi. So, <laughs> no, 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 put Nigeria last, man. Wait, what do you mean because of Messi? No, no, let's talk about Argentina now. Leave Nigeria to last. Let's, let's talk about Argentina now. Fine, okay. Messi. Does Lionel Messi need to win the World Cup in order to validate his career? Of course he, he does. I mean, how is that even a, a, a question? This is still the number one competition. No one cares about the Champions League. He plays for Barcelona. So therefore, you, you keep getting chances year in, year out. This is four years at a time. By winning this tournament is where you truly prove yourself as a great. You can't call yourself a great when you haven't won the greatest competition, which is the, the, the World Cup. I agree with you in the case of Messi, but I just hate that argument in general. You're saying Gareth Bale, he can never be great because he plays for Wales. No. I'm sorry. It's no, just Wales aren't that great of a footballing nation. That's how, that, of... that, that, this is how, how these things work, man. I, it's a tash. It seems wrong, but it's a how it works. It, it, just, that, it doesn't that, work it, in any other way. That's how it works in your mind. So we have Argentina. They're not going to take a Cardi, but they did take that baller. So how do, how do we feel about that? And they and, and they took that brick, Higain as well. So... Yeah, no, no, they they took the, the brick. So when he flops for them again, uh, maybe they'll say, hmm, let's give him another four years. Maybe he'll do better. Don't just look at what is on paper. I still feel like if, if Argentina click, maybe, but my the, the, the thing though is that the manager they had four years ago was a defensive-minded manager, which worked well for, for, the, for the team. You look at them eight years ago, they had Maradona, super attacking. Germany got that ass. This dude, uh, Sampoli, is super attacking. If they meet Spain or Germany or Brazil, they're going to get that ass. And I'm not sure how they win a World Cup with this team and Sampoli's tactics. All right, so I outsourced Argentina knowledge to the homie Roy Nemer. Uh, this is our conversation with Roy, and uh, we'll see you when the interview finishes. Hi, everyone. This is uh, Roy Nemer here from uh, Mundo Albiceleste. You can find me at Twitter at Roy Nemer and on uh, MundoAlbiceleste.com. It's been a roller coaster ride the past couple of years. The federation itself is just in shambles. It has been for a long, long time, but specifically more so since uh, 2014, uh, since the president Julio Gorondona died. Then it's just been a complete mess. Putting that aside, the teams in South America, you know, have gone stronger. Uh, Ecuador has gone stronger. Colombia has gone stronger. Even Venezuela will go out and you know get a point away from home. And if you look at the current state of the team, there's what maybe one world class defender. 
borderline two, you know, have one with uh, Nicolas Otamendi, and even then, depending on who you ask, uh, not exactly world class, <laughs> you know. Uh, then other than that, you have Nicolas Tagliafico, who is still young and he's still making that left back role his own. But there's definitely some spots in the team that you think, yeah, you know what? There's some gaping holes. There's some gaping holes. Uh, Argentina's best goalkeeper is Franco Armani, in my opinion, of River Plate. And even then, like, this guy's not a spring chicken either. I mean, let me tell you this. Just the fact Argentina has a very, very high chance of starting the World Cup with Lucas Biglia and Ever Benega in midfield probably tells you a lot about the state of, of midfielders in the country. Mm, obviously, I, I think most people would have been paying attention to, to you guys in, in qualification, given that you guys have, like, maybe the most popular player in the world. But <laughs> could, could you kind of talk to me about Argentinian qualification and maybe like the stress you went through or Argentinians went through kind of watching the last few matches unfold? Oh my God, it was a heart attack waiting to happen. <laughs> I, I I seriously woke up in the, in the the last match against against Ecuador. I woke up in the morning and like jokingly putting up some some tweets like, you know, can I have a heart attack in my mid-20s? Like how much alcohol do you need to get like alcohol poisoning? It was that bad. We went through three different coaches in qualifying. Uh, started off with Tata Martino, Gerardo Tata Martino, now in the MLS. He was gone after the 2016 Copa America. Then came uh, Edgardo Bausa, who was there for less than a year. And then came Jorge Sampaoli, who's been there since June of last year. It's been rough. We they, they drew matches they should not have drawn. They lost matches they should not have lost. And to be honest with you, they won matches they had no business winning either. And that was largely due to Lionel Messi. Drawing matches, dropping points. Messi's there, you win. Messi's not there, you lose. The last four matches were hectic. You know, we played against the Uruguay. They got a draw there. Then they got back-to-back draws at home against Venezuela and against Peru. Then came the one match that they did win is the match that they had no business winning, which is against Ecuador. And they had not won there since, I believe it was 2001, when Hernan Crespo scored the winner. Been a long, long time. We're at the World Cup thanks to Messi. And I'm not saying this because I'm a Messi fan. I've been an Argentina fan long before Messi came into the fray. But uh, we're there because of him, to be honest with you. What are the expectations for this World Cup? Qualifying out of South America, in my opinion, is more difficult than the World Cup itself. And if you don't believe me, uh, read up uh, Scolari, you know, Brazil's coach in 2002 and uh, 2014. He said it. He said qualifying for the World Cup in South America is more difficult than the World Cup itself. And I think that's where South American teams have an advantage. Now, as for Argentina, what the expectations are, it depends on who you ask. A lot of people will say this is a quarterfinal team at best, largely due to the fact of Messi. You have others that say, you know what, with a little bit of luck, they can make the final. And you have others saying that this team will just crash out in the group stages. If you ask me, uh, I see this going one of two ways. Either this team crashes out in the group stages like they did in 2002, or they somehow, some way, by hook or by crook, uh, make the final. It's just one of those feelings I get. Sometimes I watch them like, you know what, this team could probably make the final with a bit of luck. And then other times, I'm like, they're not even going to get through Iceland. Mm-hmm. And then you put in the X factor that is Messi, and you, you can never count him out. That's that's the thing. People already know who Sam Pauli picks, but Noah Cardi, don't that baller? Facts? Uh, one of them is fact, Noah Cardi. Because Sampaoli is currently on a European tour where he's meeting a lot of the players. And uh, apparently he told Icardi that he's not making the World Cup, which doesn't surprise me. Uh, He wasn't part of the last two friendly matches against Italy and Spain. He wasn't there. Neither was Dybala, but Icardi wasn't there more because it's the story of the whole Maxi Lopez thing. And Icardi Mm. apparently is not liked by the veterans on the team and whatnot. The unofficial word on the street is Icardi is not making it. The unofficial word on the street is Dybala is making it. But don't expect him to start, or at least don't expect him to play alongside Messi in the starting 11. Higuain is confirmed in, more or less. Uh, same thing for, for Aguero. But uh, the big absentee is, uh, is definitely that of Icardi. If you could point out maybe a couple players that you don't think people know that much about, 
and they're going to have like a, a good tournament, you know, get their move to a big European club propelled off the stage of the World Cup. Who, who would you point out as maybe one or two players who you feel like this is going to be a good tournament for them? Uh, I have uh, Christian Pavon of uh, Boca Juniors, and I'm not just saying this because <laughs> I'm a Boca guy, but uh, Pavon is one of those gems. Like one, of, he's I don't know if you if you watch a little bit of uh, Claudio Canigia, and he just reminds me of Canigia in terms of his pace. Very very quick player, very speedy, uh, tricky on the ball. He's a winger, right? Could either play on the left or on the right. He'll take you on. He'll take on two players, or he'll, he'll blitz past you. He'll run past you. He'll dribble around you. He'll do a little flick, a little trick. He'll cut inside the area. He'll throw in a pass, and he'll get the assist. He's been linked to, uh, I remember Arsenal. Uh, he's expected to make the squad uh, more so as a substitute than as a starter. Uh, but I think he's definitely one that could catch the eye or two of, of a couple of European clubs. Uh, in my opinion, he's you know the diamond in the rush, so to speak, that people that don't really follow Argentinian football uh, will know about. In four matches for Argentina, I believe he has two assists. Um, he made his debut in November against uh, Russia in a friendly match, a 1-0 uh, victory there. He's played well, man. Imagine in four matches you impress the coach so much so that you know, you make the team for the mm. World Cup. Uh, so for me, Christian Pavon is the guy to watch out for. Do you think Messi needs to win the World Cup in order to validate his career? <sighs> no. I don't, <laughs> I, don't I, <laughs> I think you were somewhat expecting that answer. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was, I was. But, like, I, um, I, I kind of sit on the other side of the fence. And I'll probably make yes? this argument in, in our discussion that we have uh, amongst each other. But I'm, I'm going to let you lay the platform for why All Messi right. doesn't need a World Cup to validate his career. All right, cool, perfect. Listen, I'll say this, okay? And I know it's inevitable. People want to compare him to Maradona and whatnot. You want to make the comparison, I'll play the comparison game. Take 2014 to 1986. The only difference is in that final, the number 10 for Argentina had a number nine up front that could finish, period. Valdano was able to finish for Maradona. Higuain was not able to finish for Messi. That was it, in my opinion. If you watch, if you go back to watch that final in 86, it's not that Maradona had a bad game, but he didn't have the best of games. And he was, you know, he was marked tightly. It's luck. At the end of the day, it's luck. What happens in 2014 if Higuain scores that? That glorious chance he gets, the one-on-one with Manuel Neuer. Mm-hmm. Forget it. No one, no one even doubts Messi's credibility or his legacy in terms of being the best or being amongst the best, right? No one could say, well, he doesn't have a World Cup just because Higuain wasn't able to score or was able to score. Now, in terms of why he doesn't, Higuain argument aside or whatever, you're ba- you're going to base someone's career, everything he's accomplished off of seven games. Injuries could happen. Fitness is definitely an issue. Uh, your teammates around you, because there are 10 other, even 22 other players around you, if you want to count the entire squad. Depends on the coach that you got. Depends on, you know, even the group, the opponents, whatever it is. It plays a factor. Everything plays a factor and ultimately luck as well and even age. If you look at the 2010 World Cup, look at the coach, Maradona. He left out treble winners, Esteban Cambias on Javier Zanetti and played a very young centre-back, Nicolas Otamendi, as a right-back against Germany. And he played a 4-1-5 even against Germany in the quarterfinals and the team got got crushed 4-0. So there are different things. One player might be able to win you a match you know, on, on that odd occasion, but no one player will win you a, a single tournament, let alone a World Cup. And I'll argue anyone to death, Maradona did not do that in 86. Maradona was the captain of that team, the leader for sure, but he did not win that World Cup on his own. In my opinion, that 86 team was arguably better than any squad Messi has had at a World Cup. Do you think if Argentina doesn't win the World Cup that this could be his last, maybe international tournament, but definitely maybe his last World Cup? 
I don't know, and I'll tell you why. And I'll I'll quickly rewind because you mentioned something. You touched on something really quickly there about the 2016 Copa America where Messi retired. Now a lot of people don't know the story. And I'm not I'm not trying to pretend like I know the entire story or anything like that. But you know, one of the main reasons why Messi retired wasn't just another lost final. It, it definitely was. I'm sure it played a factor. But the AFA, the the Argentine Federation's a mess. I don't know if you knew this, but the Argentina team, the players itself, had to pay for their travels during the 2016 Copa America. Messi had to pay the security, the Argentine security, six months salary on his own because the Federation didn't have money. Broke. There's nothing. They Like, no money, zero. You sound like and... an African country, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... That sounds like something we do. <laughs> no, but no, but, but but seriously, a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people say, well, oh, Messi missed a penalty. He lost another final. That's it. He retired as a crybaby. Listen, losing three finals in a row is not easy. I, I'm a fan that's... Uh, I could only imagine what it is as a player, especially someone like Messi who has the entire weight of a nation on his shoulders. But when you throw in the fact that the Argentine Federation doesn't help and, you know, sorry for the language, just shit all over you, what's the point? Because when you win, you get criticized and when you lose, you get criticized. Mm. So what's the point of continuing on? And then ultimately, you know, he lost that. The team lost that third final and heat of the moment type of thing. He retired. To go back to your question, sorry, in terms of is this his last World Cup or his last international uh, tournament with Argentina? Maybe yes, maybe no. Uh, Messi said, he stated this recently, saying, you know, this is like a, a win it or go home type of thing. He literally said, for a lot of us, this is our last chance to win it. Now, there's a Copa America next year in Brazil. And if I'm not mistaken, they're doing another one in 2020, uh, which could be held in the United States, which then leaves, you know, a two-year difference, a two-year gap up until the 2022 World Cup. Messi is going to be 34, 35 in 2022, which is not that old. You know, you look at Zidane, Zidane did that in 2006, and even Maradona came back in, uh, in 94 when he was in his 30s. Now, obviously, if he were to come back in 2022, he probably would not be a starter, maybe more as an experienced role on the bench. But if I had to put money on it, I'd say it's his last World Cup. Who so. do you think is going to win the World Cup? I will remove Argentina. That way you don't have to be jinxed. That's a tough one. There, there are three teams. You look at Brazil, you look at Spain, you look at Germany. All of them have their strengths. All of them have their flaws. I think Germany is definitely you know, a favorite. Are they as strong as 2014? I don't think so. Brazil has a heck of an attack, but maybe defensively not that strong. Then you look at Spain, who... Wow. Midfielder, they could put up three different national teams and all of them will have you know the best midfielders in the world on them. If I had to pick between those three, I'd say Spain. Is there anything I haven't asked you about Argentina or the Argentina national team that you feel is particularly interesting that you think people might want to know or should know? Expect to see a madman run around the pitch uh, or around the, the touchline in Jorge Sampaoli. Uh, no, actually, don't be surprised if you see at one point Argentina playing with a three-man back line. Uh, I don't know for whatever reason he thinks Argentina has the players or the fullbacks or even the defenders for it, um, which he doesn't. So watch out for that. Watch out for, for some crazy tactics. Um, and watch out for, for some messy magic as he lifts that trophy in July. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> anyway. I'm saying that with like zero confidence. I don't know how confident that came out on that. But uh, no, I'm kidding. Well, to be honest with you, I don't know what to expect. And I've been watching this team, I'd say close to 20 years now. Like, you know, like we said, since since 98, I've really been following this team and, and, and watching everything. I don't know. I don't know what to expect this time around. It's one of those tournaments where it's a flip of a coin. I don't know which team's going to show up. Is it going to be a good version? Is it going to be a bad a bad version? We're, we're going to find out together. Uh, only thing I'll yeah. say, there's some talent on that team. Messi aside, and like Messi obviously is that X factor in the driving force. But, you know, if Iguain ever decides to wake up and score a goal again for Argentina, that could be a key goal. You know, if Aguero is able to stay fit, he could definitely score some goals and be the difference. Uh, you got some youngsters, Lutaro Martinez, we get some minutes, Christian Pavon, Nicolas Taclefico, he's a good one. We're going into this World Cup not even knowing who our starting goalkeeper is. If it's going to be Sergio Romero, 
Willie Capachero, Franco Armani of River Plate. We don't even know. So we're going to find out together. So just enjoy the ride. Watch Argentina. See that we crash out or hopefully win the trophy. Super Eagles. Look, as I said, as I said, as I said again, man. I mean, if they lose to, to Croatia, it's it's all over. Moses is key. Without Moses, I don't think they have any hope. I think indeed he could possibly have a pretty good tournament. Hopefully, it's more than three three matches. I worry about the lack of creativity going forward. I don't think we have a JJ culture, which is what we need, or JJ cultures. Um, which is a whole host of dribblers and so forth, which is what made Nigeria so on point. But look, man, as I said again, man, I'm just trying to live. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a regular man trying to live, man. Just, just trying to eat, man. You know, I, I, like you know, I'm just trying to live. Just trying to stay safe, black man. All right, so I, we, we we could have had a whole conversation, I guess, amongst ourselves, but I decided uh, we were going to go and find find an, another Nigerian uh, to talk about the Nigerian national team. I can't, I, can't, I, I can't wait to hear what this 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 guy says. <laughs> Fortunately enough, we did find uh, Deji Farimi at DJ Farimi uh, on Twitter and Instagram, and this is our conversation that I have with him uh, about the Super Eagles. So hopefully, you guys enjoy. So I'm DJ Faremi, um, a broadcast journalist from Nigeria. At DJ Faremi on Twitter. At the moment, I'm freelance. I work for myself. I work for a lot of other people as well. But basically, that's me. I'll start by saying in Nigeria, football is everything. Football is uh, life in Nigeria. According to research that was taken a few years back, about 75% of Nigerians are interested in football. And it tells you a lot about how popular football is right here in Nigeria. Yes, there are a lot of challenges as far as running football is concerned. But if you want to focus solely on the passion, if you want to focus solely on the, you know, the hunger for football, I think it's crazy in Nigeria. You know, in the past, we used to have a lot of flair players. We used to have a lot of offensive-minded players. I, I think in the past as well, the, the pressures probably weren't as much as we have now. Uh, th there was a lot more freedom. There was a lot more uh, expression in the kind of football we played. Right now, the pressure is more. Right now, the demands are more. Right now, there are so many more fans uh, interested in success. And I think it's taken a bit of the expression and the attacking sense that we have. But it's not just that. Uh, you know, for me personally, one of the major challenges has been local football in Nigeria hasn't quite been where you'd expect it to be. And I think in some way, it's affected the national team. It's affected the way we play. Uh, there isn't really particularly a defined way Nigerian football is. You, you can't really point to a certain style and say, this is how Nigerian football is. You know, the, the way you can talk about German football, you can talk about Italian football, the Spanish love to pass the ball around. You, you can look at these different countries and point to a certain culture. It's not quite the same with Nigeria. I think it's majorly because locally, there isn't that, that sense in terms of how we want to play our football. A lot of our players uh, come from uh, foreign countries, especially European countries. Uh, so I think that's where, or th that's how you can describe Nigerian football at the moment. Uh, Nigeria's qualification. I mean, you guys had a really tough group with Algeria, Cameroon, and I believe Zambia, but you dealt with it generally comfortably. How, how would you describe that kind of process? I thought it was really emphatic. I was impressed. New coach came in, uh, General, the German he came in right after Nigeria had just drawn against Swaziland uh, in the playoff stage. Uh, it was a goalless draw. And then Genoa comes in, Sonio victory over Swaziland. And I was bubbling, but it, it got even better. We, we just stepped it off from there on. Uh, next game was against Zambia. Zambia had not lost at home in what a zillion years. And then we went there, scored two goals, two early goals. 
uh, in the first half was was a perfect first half. Kelechi and Acho with all of the goals it was an amazing goal, one two with Brownie Day. Well, eventually uh, the, the team started to uh, lose team, but generally what was quite impressive what they had done, especially in the first half. And and for me, it was a hint as to what to expect in subsequent games. Uh, that was a good game. The next game against Algeria was even much better. Ended in a three-one victory. At that point, there was a break. There was a long break, about seven, eight months, as thereabouts. Nigeria went in the Cup of Nations, but Nigeria were up next against Cameroon, the African champions. And there was so much pressure. There was so much was expected of the Nigerian team after six points in two games. A lot of people were skeptical as well how Nigeria would perform in that game or in those games uh, because it was to be a double header uh, versus Cameroon. But then first leg was superb in Nigeria in Uyo. Four knew that one ended. And then from there on, we just needed one more win to go through. So, you know, generally when you look at it, it was quite emphatic. It was probably the best qualification process you could ask for from a Nigerian team was was splendid really we could have qualified with two games to spare uh, we didn't eventually we uh, sealed off qualification against Zambia uh, Alex Wobi scoring an important goal in that one in fact even a draw could have been enough for us uh, so I, I thought it was a great qualification process for us near perfect drop points in two games but then was really really good yeah, so if we can kind of combine those two kind of answers that you've given me, you have done very well in qualification, and you mm-hmm. have a nation that's football mad. What what are the expectations for this World Cup, given those two factors? It's a bit of a paradox, yeah, because despite the sort of optimism you'd expect would come from qualifying so easily, uh, it's not quite been the case, which is quite interesting. I think it's because over the years, we've become so pessimistic about our chances at major tournaments. It's a bit like, okay, yeah, we bridge through qualification, which was a surprise, of course, because we had Cameroon and then we had Algeria two really good teams at the time that was expected to be quite difficult where third seeds going into the uh, group stage that's of qualification so tells you so much how pessimistic we're about our chances of qualifying but the qualification was good and going into the world cup yet there's so much pessimism there are so many nigerians who just think with a with a group that has argentina uh, who's beaten us like a zillion times as well at the world <laughs> not every time to argentina unfortunately really it's a bit of a shame and then croatia with the likes of Modric, with the likes of Rakitic and Kovacic in midfield, uh, you know, just to mention that midfield, there's a lot of pessimism. There's a lot of, if we get a win against Iceland, if we get a point, if we finish third in the group, if we manage to just leave the group. There are not many Nigerians who think that we could surpass our record of, uh, you know, getting past the second round. I'm not sure there are many Nigerians who think we'd get to the quarterfinals for the first time. It just tells you so much about where we are as a country in terms of the faith we have in our national team. A lot of Nigerians would get on board if we win the first game against Croatia. Maybe, maybe. If you had to pinpoint maybe two or three players who you feel are kind of warming up and they're in good condition to have a great World Cup, who would you say are maybe two or three players in that that aspect? I I think our most crucial players would be, first of course, Mikel. Uh, He's the most experienced player in the team, uh, played for Chelsea for so many years. And the calmness he brings in midfield is very important. You know, been a while since we had JJ Okocha. And for many of us who saw him play, uh, nostalgia uh, still remains. Every day we see the Nigerian midfield without flair. Every day we see the Nigerian midfield without, you know, uh, a maestro. So, sort of uh, adds to the disappointment. With Mikel, he's not quite Okocha. He doesn't have the flair, can't dribble as much, probably can't pass as much. 
but then he has the experience. He has the calmness that, you know, you get from a JJ Okocha kind of player, the control. And I think, you know, in modern day football, where you need to control the ball, where you need to pass the ball around, uh, you need some calmness in midfield. Mikel is always important for the Nigerian team. And then there's Victor Moses. He's a wingback for Chelsea, but he's our best attacker. You know, make, make no mistakes about that. Highest goal scorer for qualification. He brings those dribbles in. He's very tricky. And for all that Mikel brings in terms of calmness and control, if we don't have Moses, then we suffer in terms of creativity. I think he's the most creative player. And that, that's one player we really need. I'm not quite sure about, uh, you know, Ojoy Gallo, Alex Iwobi or Kalechi Anacho in terms of scoring goals because they haven't been prolific, really, in qualification. And then, you know, for their club sides, fortunately for us, Kalechi Anacho got scoring, scored in the final two games of the season. So may maybe it could bring that form into the Walker. But then I'm sure you also look at this, the centre-back pairing, Leon Balogun and William Trust Ekong. We call them the Onyibo wall. Um, <laughs> because you know the skin color it's amazing what, what they've done uh the, the kind of stability at least to some extent that they've brought to that back line and it's been good uh both of them in center back making it difficult for teams to get past nigeria especially since you know vincent Tiama hasn't played for nigeria in a long while and then carly keme uh we hope is back soon back to good health the, the goalkeeping situation has been quite shaky and to have those two center backs has been quite good as well for nigeria so i, I just go mikhail moses and oyibo i think if these guys can get on top of their game I'm, I'm sure we should have a decent walk up what formation does roar use how does it look structurally it, it's been 4-3-3 mostly uh for the friendlies but in the friendly against argentina he went 3-5-2 I, I thought it was really good because it afforded nigeria a chance finally to play with alexi wobi and kelechi nacho as strikers now in in the regular system it's difficult for them to get in because these two strikers aren't wingers. Alex Wobi isn't your natural, pacey, physical winger that, that, that runs for 90 minutes. Uh, neither is Kalechi and Acho. And these two players aren't particularly center strikers as well uh, because they don't have the sort of strength uh, Odion Gallo has. So it's been difficult to get them into the team. Uh, but then with the 3-5-2, it affords one of them or both of them to play uh, against Argentina. It was both of them playing as the two strikers up front. I thought they linked up very well. Big question, though, if he goes 3-5-2, where does Victor Moses fit into that team? Uh, so that, that's, that's a big question. Where, where does Victor Moses fit in? Does he play Victor Moses as a second striker? Does he play Victor Moses as a wing back, as he's played, uh, you know, for Chelsea for two seasons now? I'm sure Raw, Raw would be thinking and would have a clearer idea of what he's looking at when Nigeria gets to play England and then Czech Republic uh, in friendlies, uh, DR Congo as well. I like the 3-5-2. I, I think the 3-5-2 gives Nigeria uh, good control. I also think it gives good numbers up front because with a 4-3-3, it tends to quickly turn into a 4-5-1, mm. uh, which ultimately leaves the lone striker isolated. But then with a 3-5-2 and with players like Iwobi and Kalechi and Acho up front, uh, or, you know, either of them with Joey Gallo, it gives you a chance of more numbers up front. And if you can get the wing backs to support, if you can get at least another midfielder to support, then... You know, you, you look more attacking and saw that against Argentina. So I'm sure these two systems, uh, with, whichever he tilts towards, I, I like the fact that he has clear ideas, you know, raw. And you've seen that through his tenure as the coach of the Super Eagles. You can tell to a huge extent, you know, as a football fan or as a pundit, what Genaro's team will look like, what players he will deploy for what games. Uh, so, yeah, he has clear ideas and clear to almost everyone. So, yeah, 3-5-2 or 4-3-3, whichever works fine, I think.
Um, who do you think is going to win the World Cup? You know, that's a very difficult one. <laughs> uh, it is, it is. If Neymar didn't get injured and if Gabriel Jesus didn't get injured and, you know, get off form as well, I'd have gone Brazil easily. Um, if Dani Alves wasn't injured as well, I thought Brazil were splendid in qualifying. I really liked how they played. I, I you know, I, I think they have that confidence back. And with Tite, the team is not just good offensively, but good defensively as well. Uh, the Spanish side are looking very good as well. Well, may maybe it's the swan song. Maybe because it's the swan song for some of the players. Uh, the Iniesta's, the David Silva's, uh, probably you know Sergio Ramos and Jared Pique as well. Maybe because these guys are approaching the end of their national team careers. I don't know. Uh, but they, they look very good. Uh, but I think the Germans should be favourites. For me, it's hard to pick one team, but I have Germany right in front. I I'm looking at the way they performed at the Confederations Cup. I think, you know, more than any other team, they, they have that tournament form. They, they just know how to control games. They know how to see off games. And it's really difficult to beat the Germans. All right, last question. Yeah. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you feel is particularly interesting about Nigeria or the Nigerian national team that you think people should want to know? If we... <laughs> If we set the World Cup alight, if for whatever reason Nigeria gets to the quarterfinal of the World Cup, I think the world will feel Nigeria at the World Cup uh, <laughs> because we're a very passionate country uh, about football. For us, I think the team sets the, the, the atmosphere alight for the fans. It's a bit different with other countries where the fans push the team to, to greater things. In Nigeria, it's, it's a lot more the team getting the fans to come to life and if we somehow get into the quarterfinals will be the first time of course we could have so many more nigerians in russia who would be going on to watch games live on social media nigerians will be crazy in nigeria everything will be crazy if we get to the world cup final we may not work in nigeria for one week maybe one month <laughs> you know yeah and i'm telling you daniel and i'm not, I'm not kidding here I, i'm not kidding i'm not exaggerating but i know i know I, i'm laughing yeah. because i know it's true <laughs> it's true, it's true. We, we could have we could have one week one week of work if nigeria gets to the final of the world cup and that's how crazy we are about about the world cup so yeah it's a bit low-key now but if things get good as the tournament progresses then the world will feel Nigeria for real. Moment of truth, have hope. Who goes through? Look, I can't, I, I can't say. Sorry. I, I did it with the Babansa boys. I, I, I can't say. With this group, I pleaded the fifth and the sixth. <laughs> <laughs> they probably will make it through the group, so let's just get it over and bloody done with. Okay, wait, okay. wait, wait, wait a minute. Okay. All right. Okay. No. Yeah, wow. Argentina and Croatia, they're so cool, man. Yeah. If I remove Nigeria from uh, the conversation, that way you don't jinx anything. Oh, which of the other three teams are more likely to go through? Removing Nigeria so we don't jinx anything. You know what? <laughs> I'm really worried about Argentina. Put it this way. I think Croatia will top the group. And Oh, no, no. Don't, don't do that to yourself. Dan, man. I don't want to even say it. <laughs> <laughs> but like Sampoli's tactics, you don't take Icardi. Iceland are a very organized side. I think Iceland will straight up beat Argentina. They'll, they'll, they'll just beat them. Um, and can you can can you really rely on Messi to do it all? And Messi in a full-on attacking system against... That may work with South American teams. 
I don't I don't know whether that's that's tactic and that's philosophy can work against European teams who are very organized defensively. So look, man, I, I don't. I mean, like, okay, like at the moment now, I'll probably say Croatia and maybe I just understand, but Iceland could, could definitely sneak in. But basically, put it put it this way, I'm I'll say is I I, I see Croatia top in the, the group. I don't know who to pick either. <laughs> this this is other than Group H. This is the toughest group to pick in my opinion. There's no way Messi plays in his last cup and he doesn't go through. So I'm saying Argentina top, which might be cliche, but I think that's what's going to happen. I think they'll probably get seven points. I have a vested interest in Nigeria. You're my friends. I'm African. Iceland, at the, the 4-4-2 hardworking thing, that's cool and everything. But I think in games like this, you need people who can do special things. And I don't see anyone, maybe Sigurdsson in a way, but not really. So it's between Croatia and Nigeria for me. One team has Lovren and the other one doesn't. So I, I'm going to go Nigeria second place. Four points, goal difference over Croatia, something like that. So I'm going to go Argentina, Nigeria. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Croatia got in there above Nigeria. Sorry Croatia, Croatia, Croatia. If, if you guys beat or beat Iceland, draw Croatia. Dan, Dan, just relax, man. <laughs> <laughs> so let, I'm trying to let, find a let, way for let, you guys let, to get through, man. Okay, you guys, yeah, you guys yeah, have, yeah, blah, blah, blah. You guys have Moses. You guys have Mikel, yeah, Captain. Yeah. Okay, like, I know, I know, I know, I know. No, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. You, so, you, what's next? You have you have the best kits, you know. Okay. No, 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 no. Don't bring me that. Can, okay, okay. Now, let me let me rant. Let, let, let me rant. You see, it's very. Do you know what really pisses me off? And I'm I'm calling out some certain Nigerians out here who are going. Oh man, you know we're, we're going to have have the best kits and everything. Shut the f- <laughs> because that is the most disgusting defeatist loser mentality of like so we're just gonna go there with a really nice kit and everybody's gonna, gonna buy kits no 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 i go in there to try and win the bloody world world cup that's that's the aim i don't i don't i, I, I couldn't give it a crap about a, a damn kid so those are the nigerians were like well we're gonna win the fashion walker we're gonna have the best kids man shut the f- <laughs> Sorry, man. You, have hope, you have hope doesn't usually Half hope doesn't usually use this stronger language. I can see this is the World Cup gets to him in a way that other things don't, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I pushed this, you this, this far. Is, 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 every, is, every, is every four years, lot. So, what, what, all right. What, what, yeah. What all right. So, that's that's our group D preview. We will see what happens with the Super Eagles. Um, I'd like to thank, obviously, uh, Deji. I'd like to thank Roy. I'd like to thank Jim and uh, Richard for coming on and, and helping us out. Very much appreciated. Remember to follow them on Twitter or wherever else. Um, if you can follow us at Talking Tactics on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud. I'm surrounded by traitors. Sorry, Karen, 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 Karen. And, uh, you know, leave five-star re- reviews on, on iTunes and we'll read them um, in a couple weeks. This is Group D. If you haven't listened to Group A, B, and C, go listen to those. Um, and Group E comes out tomorrow. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening. This is Talking Tactics. Peace. Stay black. Sports Social Podcast Network.